In case you don't know, my name's Rob Allen and I'm the stewardship pastor here at C3. <laughs> oh, the fans are in tonight, aren't they? I also lead a local accountancy practice and we've recently celebrated 20 years in business and I try to convince people that I started the business when I was 15, but apparently they're not having in any of that, so I um, don't know what the problem is, but uh, anyway. So I really enjoyed this Influence series. I think we've had some great insights into government, religion, education and entertainment. And if you've missed any of those, I'd really encourage you to look online at uh, the C3 website and listen or watch those. But today, it's my honour to share some insights in the area of business or influence in business. And I'm shortly going to get three of my friends to join me on the platform. I have three friends and they've agreed to come to the platform. So that is a result. And they've got some really good wisdom on the whole area of influence in business. But don't forget, you can follow tonight on the U version on your phones. Uh, the app, you just explore, search for the C3 Church, and it all pops up. And if I can work it, then anybody can. So as I mentioned, I've been in business for 20 years. Prior to that, I spent 10 years in the local accountancy practices, sort of learning my trade and trying to, to work out what good looks like in the context of work, business, my faith, life balance, etc. And I recently heard a quote from Mark Twain, which I think fits really well with our influence series. He says, the two most important days in our life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. The day you were born and the day you found out, find out why. Now, what I love most about my work is engaging with people. And you might look at me and think, what, for a finance guy? Hmm, maybe. And I do like the old spreadsheet on the quiet, but, you know, it's engaging with people, my colleagues, my clients, that gets me out of bed in the morning. And many of our clients are what you sort of generically call people businesses, recruitment, consultancy, the like. And I think that fits in really well with my role here at C3. Let's face it, as Simon mentioned earlier, this church is interested in people. As a church, we are in the people business. God is in the business of people. People really matter to God. You know, stuff is temporal. It's the people that will be with us for eternity. Think about it. What are we going to take to heaven? Our musical instruments, our houses, our cars? No, it's people. People really matter. So thinking a bit more about work and business. For many of us, we'll spend over half our lives working. Whatever we do in the nine to five, whether it's planting crops, building robots, developing software, or generally running businesses, Work is where most of life happens. But for some people, I know, work can be a bit of a drain. You dread Monday morning. You feel trapped. You're struggling one week to the next to get to the paycheck, beaten down by your job. For others, work is, brings them to life. It energizes them, a place to chase dreams and to find fulfillment. However, we often forget that our work and our faith connect. We don't take time to think why God would have us in our job. We think about how it makes us feel, rather than the meaning or purpose we can bring through our work. You know, what if we saw work as an opportunity to worship? Our work as an opportunity to worship? We're called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, this means working as a missionary or as a pastor. Now, I know pastors don't just work Sundays, but for most of us, when Sunday is over, we return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is the marketplace or the workplace. We're not the kind of missionaries that are sent to far-flung far parts of the world. But around the meeting room table, the water cooler, the coffee machine, we have an opportunity to worship God. 
He gave us talents and skills that we need to steward. When we do our jobs to the best of our ability, with integrity, with excellence, with diligence, it's an act of worship. We're reflecting God to the non-believing world. There's no divide for us between Sunday and Monday. We can earn the right to be heard in places that a pastor or a conventional missionary can't be heard. We can have conversations with people that wouldn't set foot inside a church. You know, whether we love or dread our work, we need to choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and towards the mission that God has for us. In church is not the only place we worship. And Sunday is not the only meaningful day of the week. God has created us to work and to worship. So for many of us, work and business is our ministry and Monday to Friday is our mission field. Think about it. Monday to Friday is your mission field. Now, over the years, I've had several conversations with people asking me about business and the morality of it. You know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? Whereas like ambition, money, competition, profits, they can have a negative vibe. Business scandals such as Enron and Arthur Anderson in the early 2000s. More recently, Carillion in the last week, Patisserie Valerie, have led people to suspect there might be something wrong or bad about business. But I really believe there are many aspects of business that can be a force for good. But I do accept there is great potential for misuse and wrongdoing. But our aim today is to give you some insight into how business can be good and used for the glory of God. So in my opinion, this starts with us, me, you, all of us, and our attitudes and our hearts. For me, it's highlighted well through the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, verses, verse 33, which implores us to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give everything you need. Now notice that middle and, and live righteously. There's not an option on extra. It's not seek the kingdom of God and he'll give you everything you need. It's See the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. And when I look this verse up in the Amplified Bible, which is not a louder version, it has more words, it's probably a bit thicker as well. The word seek has got some additional emphasis. It says, aim at, strive for his kingdom. You know, this requires focus and intentionality in our daily lives. His righteousness is enhanced as his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. So how do we take on this attitude and character of God, I wonder? Let me give you some thoughts, and then the panel will join us to give some practical insights. In the book of Micah, an Old Testament minor prophet, chapter 6, verse 8, he says to us, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, or in some translations, demand or really want from us. So this is the good bit. This is where it tells us what he really wants from us. To act justly, to see that justice is done, and to put it another way, to do what is right. In the book of Proverbs, which is also full of wisdom, it tells us in chapter 21, verse 15, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. The next requirement in Micah is to love mercy. Or to put it another way, to diligently practice kindness and compassion. And I think we can understand mercy more fully if we consider the mercy that God has shown us. When we confess our sins, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it tells us, if you don't confess your sins, you'll be a failure. But God will be merciful if you confess your sins and give them up. And then the final requirement is this, to walk humbly. 
Or to put it another way, obediently, aside of any sense of self-importance. And Proverbs 18, verse 12 tells us, pride leads to destruction, but humility leads to honor. And in the following verse, verse 13, I really like this, it says, it's stupid and embarrassing to give an answer before you listen. Hmm? To me, that sounds like a bit of good advice in the area of humility. But anyway, now for the bit you've all been waiting for, the panel session. I'd like to bring my three friends to the stage and we'll get some wisdom and insight. Let's hear it for Anna Harvey, Michelle Wilkins and Peter Heslam. Super, thank you team. So, as you sit down, get comfy and I'd like to ask you a few questions. So, maybe starting with Anna, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and why you do what you do? Um, good evening, I'm Anna Harvey and I work for a firm of chartered accountants in offices, with offices <laughs> around um, London and East Anglia, but you'll be pleased to know that I'm not an accountant and you haven't come out this evening to listen to two accountants <laughs> to share the love of spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm actually a lawyer, um, which you could say was arguably worse. Um, but. The accountancy firm um, owns a law firm which I head up and we more or less exclusively do employment law. Um, so I try to differentiate myself from employment lawyers, other employment lawyers, um, and be less reactive in my advice. So not just get involved when it goes wrong, but actually to be proactive in trying to improve workplaces and build up cultures. Um, as we've been hearing, um, we. I believe, we believe that people really matter and it's not just about that being in church but also in the workplaces. And we hear about some businesses that get it right, um, like Virgin and um, Richard Branson says, train people well enough that they can leave but treat them well enough that they don't want to. Um, and I think, great, that's a really a theory that has shown success but how more powerful and effective is it to train and teach and treat people in the way that Jesus has um, taught us and by the example that he sets. So it's on that basis that I advise my clients um, and it's on that basis that I treat my team members, my wider colleagues and how I try to influence the workplace that I work. Excellent, thank you Anna. Michelle. So my name is Michelle Wilkins. I'm the founder and chief exec of Cinnamon Letters, a strategic PR and marketing consultancy. Um, in a nutshell, um, that means we, we work with clients like um, Stagecoach, Cambridge Bid, Visit Cambridge, Care for the Family, and we help them to communicate effectively. So um, companies and, and charities come to us whenever they want to increase sales, manage their reputation, um, have a, a voice in the media on specific subjects and we help them to, to make that happen. Why do I do what I do? Um, I guess I've always known subconsciously that God has kind of wired me to work for myself. Um, when I was in the sixth form, I put flyers through people's doors and offered my services as a piano teacher. Um, when I was at university, I went busking to earn some money rather than getting a job. That wasn't on the piano, because that's a bit tricky to put a <laughs> piano behind you. It was, that was on the violin instead. Um, and then about 10 years ago, it felt like the right time to start Cinnamon Letters. Um, I knew from the beginning that I wanted it to belong to God. I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but I felt that if I started, 
it would be easier for God to steer the business in the direction he wanted it to go in than if I was just stationary. Um, I thought that it would involve helping charities to communicate effectively, but through various means, God has brought commercial businesses to us. And actually, I've discovered that I really love particularly helping commercial businesses to, to, to communicate and for me to, to try and make a difference through working with them. Excellent. Good. Peter? Um, so I'm Peter Heslam, and I run actually two projects in Cambridge, one called Transforming Business and one called Faith in Business. And in different ways, they try to study and promote the intersection of three things. One, faith. Two, business. And third, well-being or human flourishing. And uh, the reason why I do this is because as a student, I came across a public theologian called Abraham Kuyper. And he believed that Christianity offers a worldview that engages with every area of life. And he so believed this, he actually put it into practice. And he founded a university, and he founded a newspaper, and he founded a political party. He talked about the arts, he talked about science, he talked about every secular sphere, but from a Christian perspective. And he summed it all up, for me at least, in one quote, and it goes like this. There is not a single square inch of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign of all, does not proclaim, it is mine. And that quote kind of haunted me as a student. And as soon as I uh, finished my degree, I wanted to do a doctorate on this guy. And I spent three and a half years studying this guy's uh, work. And I felt what area of life seems to get the least attention or at least positive engagement from Christians and decided it wasn't healthcare or teaching. They have been very well served over centuries. And our hospitals and our schools largely are born out of our Christian culture. It was actually business, which actually had a lot uh, of heritage from Christianity, but it was being denied or kept under the carpet, because after all, business is all about greed and selfishness and uh, all the wrong things that we know as Christians we don't stand for. So uh, that was why um, this field particularly um, appealed to me. Excellent. Thanks, Peter. I think this is probably, I've got another question now, which probably uh, Anna and Michelle could answer about, can you give me some examples from your business work life where you've had to deal with the areas of justice, mercy and humility? I mean, as a lawyer, justice must play a big part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you can imagine, justice is a big part of, of my role, um, but I perhaps will answer in a way that you might not expect a, a lawyer to answer. Um, I've seen a lot of disputes all sorts of disputes, criminal cases, civil cases, partnership disputes, family disputes, employment disputes. Um, and what I've learned from that is that actually justice isn't always about fighting the battle. Um, there is obviously some cases, and Michelle's going to share a great example of that, that fighting the battle is, is the way to seek the justice. But certainly in the area that I work, um, in the workplace, where essentially it's all about relationships, I feel that actually um, to win the battle, it's not about fighting the battle. 
Um, so often in a breakdown of a relationship, there's a lot of emotions involved. There's a lot of anger, rage, and bitterness. And what I believe is that the way to seek justice is actually to surrender that all to God and to get your heart in the right place in order to face the battle. Um, so, yeah, I think... Um, sorry, I've just lost my train, train of thought. Um, so, yeah, in... In, in those cases, I will advise my clients to think rationally um, about the situation, um, to try and remove the emotion, and to try and find a resolution to the situation. And probably about 80% of my cases um, will resolve amicably without having to go to a trial or a court case. Um, and that's really how I feel that a lot of um, justice should be sought in, in that surrendering to God. And maybe the clients aren't consciously surrendering their situation to God, but certainly I can show them a way of doing so. Excellent. Thanks, Anna. Michelle, you've got a different uh, I have, but I justice. Think 80, I think 80% is just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in my work, I, I do find that on behalf of clients, I do have to, to fight for justice quite a lot, actually, in terms of making sure that the media are presenting things accurately and not distorting the truth. But I want to give you an example of um, my own business and how we've had to, to fight for justice there. So... I have an office on the high street in Saffron Walden, and we share a private car park with two other properties. And this is a, an example of car park wars. <laughs> so one property changed hands, and the, the new um, owner came in and decided he was going to bully my company out of the car park. And he decided to park cars at 90 degrees to across our spaces so we couldn't use them. He told his clients to park in our spaces. He told his staff to park in our spaces. And it sounds like it, it could be almost a petty situation, but actually my staff felt quite intimidated. And also, we had a legal right to use those spaces because we were paying rent and rates on them. So it was something that I didn't, didn't feel I could ignore. It was something that I felt that I had to fight for. Um, and I tried the rational route, um, tried to speak with him, and, and didn't get very far. Um, and over a number of months, I was lied to, I was lied about. Um, I had various conversations where I had to tell this owner that he was being aggressive in the way that he was speaking to me. Um, and eventually it was resolved through solicitor's letters and that the problem has gone away now. But for me, as a business owner, trying to look after my staff, um, I had to work out what, what, what was a godly approach in that situation. So I'm a child of God, I'm not a doormat, but how do I handle that situation in a way that is godly, in a way that is wise, in a way that is hopefully full of grace? Um, so that's just one example. Excellent, very good, Michelle, excellent, thank you. Um, what about mercy? I mean, Anna, you had some thoughts on that, I think. Well, I think Michelle's uh, <laughs> reflected that really in her, her approach, because obviously um, just by sort of standing on God's word and on the truth, she got an outcome that is, is full of mercy, really. So I'd say that mercy is the outcome um, of doing or acting justly. Um, the verses tell us to, to live with love, kindness, and compassion. And I think that's where the outcome of mercy comes, both for yourself and mm. for others. Excellent, excellent, very good. 
Um, Peter, it sounds like you've got quite an interesting role. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about your work and maybe some of the findings of your research? Yes, so um, these two projects, one uh, is a spin-out from the university and one's a spin-out from a theological college. So they're research-based and we base our research really on case studies, which are essentially stories of business owners who have founded and grown their own companies to a significant size. We want to inspire young entrepreneurs with the stories of seasoned entrepreneurs about how they can actually run a successful business and stay true to their Christian faith. And that might be easy, easier in some parts of the world than in others. And we've done case studies in 24 different countries. And in some of these countries, the norm for the way you do business is through the giving and receiving of bribes. So we thought, I wonder what we're gonna find in our research. We're gonna be interviewing Christians who are in this environment. And we were really surprised and impressed by the number who said to us, we take an absolutely no tolerance attitude to any form of corruption, even if it means that that business will then go to one of our competitors who is willing to take or receive a bribe. And we thought, wow, this is absolutely amazing. How can they ever stay in business if this is uh, what's going on? But they, they told us that they believe in the long run they win because of the reputation they build for integrity and trust and reliability yeah, and good. honesty. And of course, there's forms of corruption all over the world. It's not just in some countries, it's everywhere. Mm. But it's really inspiring for us to see how Christians stand out um, for their faith on that issue. And of course, business is a very pervasive area of society, and sometimes in the church we lose sight of that. Let me give you a, a quick example just from today about how pervasive I think business is, and this is confirmed in all our studies. They see this. When I woke up this morning, I woke up to a Philips alarm clock, and I stumbled down the stairs uh, to put on the kettle. I had to fill it with water supplied by Anglian Water, and switch on the kettle made by Russell Hobbs using electricity supplied by Southern Electric. Then I took my mug made by Bodum and put in a tea bag made by Twinings and made my cup of tea by adding a little bit of milk supplied by Tesco. Then I went upstairs to have my shave. I took hold of my shaver made by Gillette. I put some shaving cream on my chin from uh, Nivea and then I had a shower with uh, shower gel from Boots and uh, shampoo from uh, Neutrogena. I won't go through my whole breakfast, which I then had, but several <laughs> brands were involved. And then I got on my bike made by Azor and came here to C3. And I bet, I haven't counted the number of brands I can see. I can see one on my microphone, which is Sennheiser. But probably <laughs> for our worship in this church to be enabled, maybe a couple of score businesses are involved mm. in the lights, in the electricity, in the speakers, in the mics, every instrument behind us, mm. all the technology. I had to check my phone this morning, and it's a Samsung phone, and I checked my emails through Google. These are all... <laughs> companies and they are run by people and people are moral and eternal beings made in the image of God and they are either flourishing at yeah. work or they are not flourishing yeah. at work and every purchase we make is like a vote. We vote for that company when we buy their product. We get the kind of capitalism that we want because we decide it through our vote which is our purpose. This is the pervasiveness of business. Business leaders 
get this, and yet they tell us we feel under-resourced, unsupported, and even misunderstood mm. in our churches. Mm. The great news is that this is beginning to change. And in some of these countries, the prosperity gospel, which has helped churches to really grow and bring in new converts, are finding in the gospel itself that it's not just about pie in the sky when we die, it is also about the coming of God's kingdom in every yeah, sphere yeah, yeah. of life. And entrepreneurs are being empowered to take that message to found businesses in which their faith is at the root of all they do, willing to take the hits, willing to take the criticism, and willing, if necessary, to go out of business, but willing to pay the price. And this is allowing social lift. It's not a coincidence that in the places in the world where the church is growing the fastest, business is also growing the fastest. And that is in Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, in Latin America. That's where most of our case studies come from. It's an exciting time to be alive. If we integrate, and this is, I know that you're not all from business, so this actually applies to all of us. If we integrate our Christian faith with the way we work, or the way we are at home, or the way we are at school or at college, even if we're retired and we're in a, in a retirement home, that's then our front line, that's mm. our engagement with mm. the world around us. Yeah. Whatever yeah. your situation, that is, as Rob said, that's where we're made to be missionaries. That's mm. where we can work as worship. Mm. That's where God has called us to be. Excellent, thank you, Peter. That's really, really interesting. Um, just maybe one final question um, to whoever wants to answer this. Is there something in relation to your career in business that you wish you had known before you started? Um, not so much something I wish I'd known before I started, but I have learnt over the last 10 years that I've been running Cinnamon Letters that in running your own business, the path from A to B is never straight. So it, it involves lots of twists and turns, potholes, um, dead ends, um, sometimes glorious sunshine, other times drenching rain. And for me, the journey has been about, and still is, about learning what it really means to trust God in all of that. So not, not at the beginning, I think I was quite independent and sort of asking God to bless what I was doing, but now I'm much more conscious that, that I'm totally dependent on the grace of God for the, the future of my business. Excellent. Thanks, Michelle. Anna, did you have one? Um, I just think that um, since I really accepted that my ministry is absolutely in my workplace, that I have seen the influence that I can play. I think I found it really difficult to see Jesus in such a corporate environment, to see Jesus around the board table. Um, but now that I have absolutely accepted that, um, I feel that I can carry my my light, so I leave on a Sunday and I carry my light into my workplace. Mm, it's not under, um, my lamp isn't under a bowl and I actually look for um, mountaintops to, to shine my light. Fantastic. I think we could go on for longer, but I think we need to put it in there. So let's have a round of applause for the panel. Thank you, guys. Fantastic. Awesome. So as I want to bring us to a bit of a close now, and... <laughs> Just look back at that verse in, in Micah where it talks about justice, mercy, and humility. You know, these are not alien concepts to, to good people. I, I know some really kind, 
humble people, but they don't yet know God. Non-believers might possess one or two, maybe all three of these attributes, but the key to me is that we as Christians should exhibit these in the light light and revelation of who Jesus is and what God did for us through the giving of his son for our sins. Why did he do this? Because, he's, because of his great love for us. And the, the last three words in that Micah passage are with your God, which to me in my life in business has made a massive difference. If I wasn't walking with God while I was doing this, then it would have failed. It would be a burden to me rather than a mission and a ministry. So if we act justly, love and show mercy, and walk humbly with our God, in the area of influence that God has placed us, we can change the spiritual temperature. The outcome will be that business is a force for good. 